Joe McKinney makes things happen. If you're young, broke, sleeping on couches, and don't think you can change the world, go to the Startup Society's Foundation webpage. Read Meaning, Responsibility, and Startup Societies. Then attend the Startup Society Summit in Washington, D.C., where just about everybody in the Startup Society Summit will speak, including me, and we owe it all to Joe McKinney's hustle. Jordan Peterson should interview Joe McKinney. But first, Natalie gets to. Hello, sisters. I am super happy to have here Joe McKinney with me for the second time on this podcast, although it's just going to be it's going to be aired as one single podcast. And before introducing, actually, no, let's introduce you first. I'm with Joe McKinney, CEO of the Startup Societies Foundation, CEO of New Hansi Network, and CEO of other 39 companies. <laughs> it's a bit of an exaggeration, but thank you. <laughs> what do you do, Joe? What do I What do? I do? Um, so, yeah, as you said, I'm the CEO of uh, Startup Societies Foundation, which is a think tank that studies small experimental governments, which include things like seasteading. I am also uh, the CEO of New Hanze Network, which is a consulting firm and blockchain development firm for startup society related projects. Um, um, I'm also, you know, because of the Institute for Competitive Governance is within Startup Society Foundation, I also manage that. So three things, not 39, you know, a little bit of a difference. In 2018. Right, right. Uh, who knows what 2019 will bring? Well, we, the first part of this podcast, okay, so this podcast is divided into parts. This is second part. The first part is just going to be audio. So I hope you just, you didn't just skip to the video part because the first part is really interesting. Joe and I recorded it back in August, August 2017. And if I remember correctly, it was just focused on startup societies. New Hansi didn't exist back then. So no. we are like less than one year later, and now we are talking about three. So I hope that next year when we talk again, <laughs> who knows what's going to be. There'll be a startup society conglomerate. <laughs> yeah, I I read that. So I, I was reading a lot of what, what you've written, and one of the things that I found is that so you wrote that if a startup society wants to become part of the Startup Societies Foundation Network, they need to fulfill these, these ethical principles. Yeah. What is your long-term vision with their Startup Societies Network? Uh, well, ultimately, it needs to be a shared network that shares resources and information with one another uh, in an ethical manner. Right yeah. now, the biggest problem with startup societies is they exist in isolation. And because of that, they often fail. But if they shared resources uh, like capital or human capital, as well as information from the past, they wouldn't be making the same mistakes over and over again. So hopefully we have a global network of startup societies that are mutually supporting each other, sort of like the UN, but not awful. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and as you mentioned, Natalie, they have to be governed by a set of ethical principles. And what... What you're referring to that I wrote is uh, the exit principle. It's extraordinarily bare bones and there has to be more ethics that overlays it. Basically it says you have to make sure that your citizens can easily leave because if your citizens can easily leave, then the problems of bad governance can be easily overcome. It's very basic things like don't kill your citizens. Don't make it impossible to leave. 
don't brainwash them um, <laughs> and don't have a red market economy. You know, not exactly strenuous things. And what we would do as a Start Size Foundation is we would ostracize them and we would discredit them and do everything in our power to make sure, hey, these are awful people. They're not part of us. Um, don't consider them part of us. So that's basically what the exit principle is all about. You absolutely love it. I would love to be the sister and representative in your network in the future. Hey, let's make it happen. It is. It's going to make it happen, Joe. So, Joe and I were, you were, you were living in Malta until a week and a half ago, more or less, right? I mean, I still, I'm still going to live in Malta. I'm just here for, in the United States to uh, host a Start to Say Summit. Nice. So, I had a huge, huge, huge pleasure of visiting you at Elysium, the house with the co-working and co-living space. And when we went out for dinner, and I remember that I asked uh, you and your colleagues from the Startup Societies Foundation, the question, how do you feel of knowing that you are creating the future of governance? And I include here me and my sistering colleagues at Blue Frontiers and the sistering Institute. But how do you feel? Um, so I'm not creating the future of governance. I'm it's really like facilitating it. it. No, there's there's <laughs> been a movement brewing before we were even part of it. We're just bringing people together who already think that. And for that, that part, that little part that we're a part of, we feel tremendously happy for because we love the spark in everyone's eyes when they see each other or interact with each other online and realize, hey, we're not alone. We're not just crazy people. We're actually capable individuals that are going to change the world. So that I, I do get a tremendous amount of joy from. Yes. Yet you invented the concept of startup society. Uh, yeah, Thibaut and, and, and I and Preston, we, we created the term startup society, but the concept of startup society is old as civilization I, itself. Right? I know what you mean. So I have a juicy question for you. Oh, a juicy question. Good. good. Super juicy question. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. We were actually, I know the answer. We were talking about it on the cab when we were going in Malta to the airport. And I feel it is a very enlightening answer that I would like everybody who's listening to us to have the, the honor or of listening to your position in that regards. Why are you not a libertarian? So I'm not a libertarian for a couple of reasons. The biggest reason is because of the focus. Right now, libertarianism is focused on simply arguing and talking about theory or their focus on elections. Um, I think that's demonstrably has not worked. Uh, people tend to agree with an idea if they see it demonstrated and see that it actually benefits people's lives rather than simply being argued about it. Also, it, it is a little bit of an ideological thing because of, you know, I, liberty is one of the core principles that I believe that makes a good political system. Yes. However, um, I think we should demonstrate a lot more ideas. We should be more empirical about what works politically. Um, so we should try things on a small scale. As long as you can exit, that should be good. And the metric for determining whether that system is good is how many people stay there and don't exit the system, rather than a priori saying, this is the only way to do things and anything else is heretical. Yes. I like it. I like it. I like your answer. So right now you're working on the Startup Society Summit, which is focused on Puerto Rico at George Mason University on the 9th and 10th of May, 2018. If anybody is listening to us and you're around the area, go. And if you're not around the area, go anyway. What, what, are you, 
what's the conference about? The conference is about we need to rebuild Puerto Rico. You know, we've been talking about this problem for so long and they're still having blackouts. In fact, the other day they had an island-wide blackout that wow. came from the destruction of Hurricane Maria. Yeah, and no one's done anything about it. So instead of simply talking about it, we're bringing everyone together at George Mason University. It's a call to action to bring together a consortium of partners who can actually make it happen and build sustainable startups to rebuild the economy and the infrastructure of Puerto Rico. This consortium can include, you know, policymakers, investors, blockchain experts, infrastructure experts, but also people who are involved in startups and students. You know, a city requires all cross-sections of society, so we need to bring everyone together to support this. And that's what this uh, conference is. It's saying, hey, this is a call to action. Join us. And then throughout the, the rest of the year, we're going to be developing a proposal and then executing it. Um, how about, who are the Puerto Ricans that you have involved? Because you are telling me, that you have all right. really cool people from Puerto Rico. So we have the Friends for Puerto Rico, the Foundation for Puerto Rico, and Comena 66. Uh, Comena 66 is a, a, a startup organization that facilitates the, the startup ecosystem in uh, Puerto Rico. We also have the University of Marrakez, which is going to be live streaming our event. Okay. And uh, we have a couple of entrepreneurs on site, including Jamie uh, Redman, who is a, uh, a, a entrepreneur who's trying to start up a startup city in, in, in Ponce. In Ponce. And Ponce. who are the speakers that you have? Well, let's take a look here. <laughs> so, so we do have your, 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 your friend Greg of Urban Innovation Exchange. He also works at Blue Frontiers. Of course, yes. Joe Quirk of Blue Frontiers <laughs> will be speaking. There's also Oliver Porter, who created a private city in Sandy Springs, Georgia. He is an OG in every yeah. sense of the word. Um, Michael Strong, you know, he's very famous for startup cities. Loda Moberg, who uh, wrote the book on special economic zones, the political economy, special economic zones. Uh, Crystal Rose, CEO of Sensei. Tom W. Bell, author of Your Next Government. Um, and we have Adele Brown of a Detroit Threat Management, which is like a private threat adjudication yeah. organization. <laughs> Uh, Rahul Chopra, who's our uh, our biggest infrastructure expert, who works at the Rockefeller Institute and Berkeley Labs on infrastructure. Edward Stringham, who works in private governance. Uh, Derek McGill, who works at Praxis, and I'm just scratching the surface here. Wow, that's kind of super interesting. Yeah. What has been the most um, exciting thing of running this conference? The most exciting thing is just the energy around something practical. I mean, the startup societies summits have always been about, you know, action orientation, but it's never been about a very specific problem. This one, we can actually talk about a piece of land. We can talk about a people and we can talk about it for the, for the benefit of people and we can have those people leading the charge. So that brings it an extra energy and extra sense of practicality to it. That's, so that's been really exciting about this particular summit. What do you expect to achieve after the summit? I want a whole group of people that are ready to push for startup cities in Puerto Rico. And I want them to actually make a plan. I want them to execute it. And I want it to be a talking point across the world, at least America. I want people on CNN to be talking about startup cities and talking about being a viable way to rebuild Puerto Rico. How about in terms of legal issues? Legal issues in terms of policy yeah. on the island? So, yeah. So what we need is a solid regulatory environment on the island. I don't want to touch taxes. I think Puerto Rico has enough 
tax advantages already. And ultimately, if you look at the special economic zone research, taxes only have a marginal benefit. What has the best benefit is having a regulatory environment that's clear, consistent. Um, because of one of the biggest problems of being an entrepreneur, as many of your listeners will know, is not knowing what the legal environment is. Like, for instance, I do a lot of stuff in ICOs. We have no idea what's going to be legal tomorrow or the next day. Yes. If we were in a jurisdiction that made it clear and consistent what the rules were, there would be a huge flow of entrepreneurs in that area. If we do that for Puerto Rico, rather than just having rich people just park their money there and take the tax advantages, they'd want to start their businesses there and you know grow an ecosystem that can sustain Puerto Rico long term. Wow. Um, how about... Um, so I know that there are two different initiatives for working on Puerto Rico with crypto-related stuff. How are they different? So in a sense, they're not because of Restart Week in Puerto Rico, we're actually partnered with them. Um, so we're actually bringing forces together and our intention is to form the consortium together. So for those who don't, don't know, Restart Week is part of the Portotopian movement, which is bringing crypto people to Puerto Rico in order to rebuild it and bring capital and also uh, to you know, take advantage of some of the tax benefits that, that they have in Puerto Rico. They're trying to build a city there. So there was obviously a lot of synergy between the Startup Society Summit and Restart Week and the Portopians. So we formed a partnership and we're going to be building the consortium together. Okay. And you brought more Puerto Ricans into the, the pool, no? Of course. No, no, no. I mean, that was one of the main criticisms that they had with the other Restart Week. So we made very certain to bring a ton of Puerto Rican speakers, which you can see on our website. And we're also giving out free tickets to Puerto Ricans. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, I hope you have a lot of Puerto Rican participation. I would be very happy if there was more uh, Spanish being spoken than English at the conference. I can do my, I can, I can reply <laughs> <I can laughs> in Spanish if you want. <laughs> please do, please. I'll be very angry if I hear a single English word out of you the entire time, Natalie. Oh, no, está bien. Te prometo que voy a responder absolutamente todo lo que me preguntes en inglés. En español. Sí. <laughs> <laughs> we should do this like this you answer to me in English and I ask in Spanish yo, yo acuerdo <laughs> that's good, that's good. no, no yeah. no, es <laughs> you understood so I said it in English yo entiendo no hablo bueno <laughs> you would be surprised of how far that phrase would take you Okay, I'll just say one word when, I, when I'm in Puerto Rico. How about that? You need to say gracias. Oh, yeah. You know how to say salud, no? Salud. 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 I do, you know, I... Okay, so what are the projects that you are working on right now besides Puerto Rico? Well, the George Mason University Summit. So, yeah. So um, beyond that, we're actually doing some really interesting things with uh, Institute for Competitive Governance. Um, there's a recent proposal that um, Startup Studies and the Institute for Competitive Governance actually won. Oh, uh, yes! Called... Congratulations! Yes, yes, yeah. yes! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah! Congratulations! So there was recently, there was recently a competition in the Czech Republic in Prague uh, run by the European Resource Bank. They run something called uh, the Dragon's Den competition. Uh, which awards nonprofits based on their proposals. And what we proposed was actually something based on our director, Tom W. Bell's project, ULEX, which is a, 
spin off or just a play on words off of the, the, the project of Unix, which is an open source operating system. Yeah. This is an open source legal system. Yes. He took the best practices from all around the world in international and private sources of law and created like a rule set for how that would work. Um, what our proposal was is that we would use the Institute for Competitive Governance website to create a community of open source coders who would actually make this into software. So people all around the world can use a, a, a cryptographic legal, open source legal system, uh, despite whatever country they're in. I know it. What applications do you see it having in the future? No, no, no. Uh, well, what applications will it have in the future? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the long run ones are that startup societies, they have a legal system that isn't based on their geography. Because a lot of startup societies, um, for economies of scale purposes, they'll realize that it's better to have a legal system that's outside of their own. In fact, a lot of startup societies now, they, they import a, a different legal system that's already well-trusted. For instance, like Dubai, they import a lot of English common law. In this case, the startup societies, in order to attract a lot of you know, citizens, they'll be like, okay, we'll, we'll adopt a legal system of, or a version of Ulix that is attractive to other people. So they'll probably uh, adapt a lot of uh, non-state um, systems based on ULEX. But the most immediate ones is private adjudication because of this, these private international sources of law already used everywhere, not just in startup societies. Because the people do businesses in different countries all the time and they don't have like an overriding court to and deal with it. So they deal with... Say again? Sorry, and in the, uh, on the ocean. On the ocean, yeah, like maritime law. Maritime law has a lot of private international courts. It's kind of based off of that. Um, so they could use this as like the software to facilitate that. So that'd be like the first use case. I think. Okay. Awesome. What else are you working on? What else am I working on? Oh, uh, Patrick Friedman and Tom W. Bell and I are working on an open source uh, uh, a journal for Start to Say and competitive governance related projects. There's actually a lot of academic work right now that isn't really centered in one place. So we're going to put it all in one place on the Institute for Competitive Governance website. So the Institute for Competitive Governance is a research brand of New Hampshire. No, a Startup Society Foundation. Okay. Yes. And the same the difference between the Startup Societies Foundation and New Hampshire is the same one between Blue Frontiers and the Sistering Institute. Yes. Okay, so nonprofit, for profit, and research. Yes. I love it. You're tackling every single bit. Uh, well, there's, there's still other bits that need to be tackled. There needs to be, you know, capital. There needs to be, you know, legal support. It'd be great if someone created a legal team just for defending startup societies or negotiating with governments. I think that'd be one of the next best steps once we grow. Wow. Well, you have Tom Bill. You also have Lota Morbeck. Yeah, we'll definitely have Tom Bell. It'd be great to have Lota. I mean, I, Lota is a advisor to the Institute for Competitive Governance. Yeah, exactly. So you are well, actually, Loda's not actually a lawyer. She's an economist. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I see what you mean. They will come. They will come. <laughs> they will come. There's no other way. They will come. When you do something so cool, so great, and especially in such a serious way, great people simply come. So it's just a natural tendency. I agree. I agree. I, I think... And like I said before, I mean, we're just doing, we're just facilitating what cool people are already doing. So um, I definitely agree. People 
because they're already so dedicated and, and they're really so smart. You know, if we just provide them a path to do it, they'll do it themselves. That's what's beautiful. Tell me more about the open source le legal system. So how about if it's not bounded, if participation is not attached to geography, mm -hmm. will, what place does the physical, what role does the physical play, uh, place play? Well, it, it, so the physical only matters if it's mandatory system of law. Like if, if a startup society says, this is a legal system we must use um, and you must abide by Ulix, then the geography matters. But if it's not mandatory, it has to be non-contiguous by its very nature okay. because of, you know, it's not required. It has to be an opt-in system. Like uh, it's sort of like when private education of law, they agree to a court system or a legal system that they will adjudicate to, or they'll put in their contract. Like if there is a dispute, we'll rely on this legal system. That's what it'll be sort of based off of. Like in maritime law. Like in mar maritime law, exactly. I love it. I, I really like it. Okay, so what are your plans after the summit? My plans after the summit, I plan to fly to Puerto Rico for the rest of uh, Restart Week okay. West. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm helping out with a couple of events there, uh, one related to special economic zones and one related to policy. Um, I'm going to be helping out Tribalize as well, which is also a partner of our organization. What is Tribalize? Tribalize is a sort of ecopreneur sort of event series that helps out try to make e ecological communities. Wow. That is another reason for why you not necessarily attached to startup societies being, well, yeah, necessarily libertarian because there are a lot of other more micro experiments, some are more collective, less individualistic that are equally valid and equally important, right? Right, right. No, totally. Um, we can't hem ourselves into one particular ideologist. It has to be a big tent. But to be fair, there can be libertarian ecologists and environmentalists. Uh, they can I be free market. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. I completely totally. agree. Um, but, to but totally. In fact, I think we should do a conference series about communes in the future. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know where or when, but I think that we should start reaching out for that. I would love to be part of that. You know, I am right now. Oh, I, I have something to tell you. Okay. I have two things to tell you. I hope I don't forget them. So, um, thing number one, I have a surprise for you. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I admire you a lot. Right? You mentioned it. <laughs> okay. So after I went to visit Elysium in Malta, I left admiring you even more. A lot. So around that time, I say that time, but it was like a few weeks ago. <laughs> around a few weeks ago, I was rewriting the first, like the whole narrative of my PhD. Because, you know, it's, it's an iterative process. It's, so I was writing in, a, in one page the whole story. Like, okay, what is the story I'm trying to tell? The story I'm trying to tell is about, a, I think I've mentioned this to you in the past, heterarchies. Have I? Yes, you have. Which, is a, which are structures or networks or systems that are not fully hierarchical, but also not fully horizontal. Because mm -hmm. a fully horizontality, when you have a system that is super complex, cannot exist, and also fully hierarchical systems are just done. So hierarchy simply make more sense from many, and I'm oversimplifying, but this is basically right. 
what heterarchies mean. So I was writing that narrative and I realized that that is true at a case-by-case base. So my, my case study is the Floating Island Project in French Polynesia. And this project is heterarchical and I have been collecting a series of evidences in my participation in the project that explain why it is. It, it, we are really talking about new forms of bottom-up and decentralized forms of political relations. However, if you zoom out and not focus on the Floating Island Project, but on seasteading as a, as a political or governance thing, then this, this whole floating ecosystem has really an anarchic structure because there is no central focus, right? Just think of it from a structural point of view. There's no United Nations of seasteads. Yet. There won't be a United Nations of seasteads. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. <laughs> And so, so that, is, that is the key component of my narrative. The future is heterarchical. Now, I think if I should, that's, that's it. I don't know why I'm doing a PhD. I can just summarize it like that. We are talking about heterarchies. But anyway, my surprise to you is that uh, we had some very interesting conversations and I was rewriting this, this story. And I thought, fuck. <laughs> leave that in leave that in the podcast <laughs> okay okay i'll leave that in the podcast <laughs> okay and i realized that this whole hierarchical configuration <laughs> is actually about startup societies so when we talk about new forms of decentralized political relations and how the complexity of certain systems or the local interactions of certain new political experiments generates non-hierarchical forms of governance. It, we are, I was just really inspired by you and I decided to do three good, strong chunks of paragraphs at the introduction of my PhD about how what I'm talking about, it's actually about a tendency in an increase of startup societies that facilitates thanks to certain characteristics that contemporary world has, like the technologies and the political conditions and la, 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 la. So that's, thank you. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you, Natalie. I mean, I, I, when I talk to you about heterarchy, uh, I, I actually really enjoy that as well. I mean, in the back of my mind, I, I kind of was thinking about it, but you really crystallized it when I talked to you about the idea that in the future, it won't be just nation states, certainly. And it won't be just startup societies. There'll be a mixture of nation states and startup societies co-living together with one another in in a very vibrant, diverse ecosystem of governance. Exactly. Yes. That's hierarchical. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, it's complex. So that's the first thing I wanted to tell you. And obviously, I forgot the second one. (laughs) (laughs) give it time give it time i'm sure it'll pop up we had limited time for the podcast that's what editing is for natalie huh that's what editing is for natalie (laughs) (laughs) i was uh, a few weeks ago with alexa alexa burmasovi from startup societies foundation whom you know very well your friend Mm -hmm. and colleague and we are having this really interesting conversation about 
Why am I forgetting everything? I'll edit this out. But Joe, you're making me nervous. <laughs> I'm so intimidating. <laughs> Take a sip. Cool yourself down. I I am having some coffee slash Baileys. <laughs> coffee slash Baileys. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot what time it is there. My bad. Because <laughs> right now it's like 10 a.m. here. I'm like wow, starting early. No 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 no. Here it's 4:33, 4:33 a.m. Lol. I forgot what I was gonna tell you about Alexa. Okay, so basically Alexa and I were having this really interesting conversation. So we recorded a podcast and then we stopped recording and then the really interesting bit started. So, yeah, and we didn't record it and Alexa didn't let me. But it was basically, um, uh, I would say, a, a minor discussion and really interesting minor discussion between fundamental libertarianism and more open forms of governance. And how do you think we can, so you are doing a great job in sharing the message of how experimentation in governance, it's important, no matter what type of experimentation. Mm -hmm. What strategies do you have for people who want to join that same path and, and work, either work with governments or against governments so that what we are working on becomes more the norm. Well, first and foremost, um, there's two very fundamental things you need to begin even before you take the first practical steps. Okay. For one, make sure it's something that you want to do completely. Because if, if you're talking about governance or changing governance, you need to dedicate every fiber of your being. Meaning, you can't have hobbies. You can't have a normal life. <laughs> yes. uh, your whole life has to be dedicated to that. And if you're not willing to do that, then you should just simply not be involved because of, it's, it's, it's going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Or uh, two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And number two, you need to have a really, really, really strong ethical code because of if you don't and you're trying to work in governance, I don't want you to work in governance. I'm going to try to make sure that you don't um, because this is people's lives. And if you screw up, or if you're doing ill, you're going to be hurting a lot of people. Yes. So, but if you're doing good, you could do a tremendous amount of good. So if you are willing to put yourself to an unusual ethical and work ethic code, um, go for it. Yes. And the first steps after that is have a really clear plan. There's a lot of people in the startup society movement or just in liberty circles or um, like eco circles or people who make communities in general. They have very vague Grand ideas, really broad ideas, and they talk about them. They don't have a plan. They don't start small and see that they can scale. So have a plan about what's a minimally viable product that you can make okay. and have really small steps. Um, and then talk to a government. If you have, reach out to people who have uh, connections within the government and start local. Start with a local government in an area that isn't really populated and start talking to them. And if they get some interest, then go higher and higher up the level. And once you have multiple levels of government on board, then you can start to secure a concession from a government to create sort of a special economic zone and try to measure what their, their appetite is. Don't try to go and say, okay, I want a fully sovereign nation in the middle of your state. There's no state in existence that's going to allow that. <laughs> try to test the waters and see what type of policies they will allow. Um, and normally you'd find that the places that have 
higher economic development will tend to ha push back the most than those that have least economic development. So always keep that in mind. But um, the hardest part is maintaining the, the concessions after the fact. So because a lot of governments, once they realize that you are their option, they tend to want to renege. So one option that, that Mark Frazier and I have developed is sort of a contest system. So instead of pulling, pushing on a string, you pull on a string. You have multiple places around the world competing to these startup societies rather than you individually going out to them. It's a much more cost-effective way to do it. So I would recommend that. But if you just are an individual and you're entrepreneur and you want to reach out to that, that'd be a good way. But there's a lot more smaller scale ways to help out the startup society's movement than actually starting a startup society. You can work on startups that would be beneficial to new cities. You can work on new infrastructure companies or work on drone startups that would help out cities or blockchain applications that would help cities run better or, or, or governance run better. Um, you can, you can do things that are related to seasteading, like, like algae production that would be vital for, for Startup City food production. Basically, any sort of business or organization or institution they'd be building that would be beneficial for the creation of cities is part of the Startup Society's movement. It doesn't have to be that you are a founder of the Startup Societies like themselves. That requires a lot of capital, a lot of connections, and a lot of uh, wherewithal. But you can always start somewhere. I mean, for me, I started with a Facebook page. Um, I started posting the hundreds of Facebook groups a day, and I scaled that. We scaled that into conferences and newsletters, and then to research organizations, and then companies that build, you know, e-governance platforms. Um, and we're just going to keep scaling from there. So you, even if you start small, it doesn't mean you're going to get big. But just realize that there's a lot of steps in between that. It's not, it's not a startup that you can start in your garage. It's something that, you know, has to be at a very large scale, yes. but you can start it from a pantry if you want, yes. um, but, but work your way up. They, this is one of the reasons why you're not fully convinced about Liverland as a project. Ooh, asking the hard questions here. Um, <laughs> I think that Liverland is great at marketing their ideas. I'll give them that. I think that they are not good at negotiating with governments. They don't play um, diplomatically. And because of that, the government of Croatia is not letting them on the island. Um, and if you're not on the startup society, you don't have a startup society. Um, and while I'm glad that Vita is, is spreading the word about you know, experimental governance, um, unless he actually takes practical steps to get on the island or have some government recognize him, which as of now, no government has, and all the buzz around him being recognized has turned out to be for naught, um, I don't think anything's going to happen. Now, I am so ready to be proven wrong. Please prove me wrong, Veed. <laughs> I want there to be a Liberland. I want there to be a microstate in the Danube River. But... It just doesn't seem very likely right now. And I think we should be focusing on more serious projects that can actually get concessions and actually start governing. How do you feel of the fact that we want more political autonomy? And by we, I mean people who believe in the things you and I do. However, we, are, we live in a world that is ruled currently by nation states, mainly still, <laughs> politically. And we, we have to negotiate with nations at this point. Yes. How do you feel about that? 
I feel like we have to deal with the world as it is. And we actually benefit nation states in a lot of ways. Um, especially economic zones give a lot of economic development and they uh, create a lot of uh, national you know, authority and respect. So there's a lot of things that we can provide to nation states negotiating with them. Now, will that lead to nation states in the long run being the less dominant force that they, after they allow it? I tend to think that there will be. But, yes. but we have to be clear that uh, governments are our partners because without them, we won't be able to exist. So it, there should be a big focus on collaborating with them and not having this anarchistic tendency of YNTL taxation is theft whenever it feels good um, because there's a lot of work to do, serious work that isn't about virtue signaling. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually part of the conversation that I forgot um, that I was telling you that I was having. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you, where to trace the line when it comes to taxation if it directly benefits you? Where do you stand ethically there? I mean, so the model that I prefer is the Georgist model, uh, which is that uh, a tax on land. And the most common usage of this in, in special economic zones has been the land lease system, where the special economic zone, it owns all the land in the area. And then it leases out uh, parcels of land to large developers and they give lease money to the special economic zone developer, I mean owner. And then those developers further lease it out to other developers and then sublease it out to other people like individuals, apartments and stuff like that. And there's a train of uh, revenue that goes up in that sense. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, libertarians say taxation is theft. And then anarcho-communists say that rent is theft. In startup societies, rent is taxation or taxation is rent. <laughs> Uh-huh. Going back to the to the conversation of commons, yeah, there is a lot of things that anarcho-capitalism and anarcho-communism have in common, actually. And one well, of we have one. <laughs> what? Which? Anti-state. No, there are many more actually. There are many more. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a whole chapter in my PhD thesis about that. Okay, I want to hear this. Okay, so basically, um. They are both anti-state, yes. yes. And so um, they're both anti-state and anarcho-communism recognizes that just like anarcho-capitalism, when it comes to huge territories, it is simply very naive to think a state will be able to govern them well because mm -hmm. there's too much, too much information, because you simply cannot... A governor manage something in the right way if you are afar. So they also both advocate in favor of local self-organization. And yeah. oh yeah, 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 they do, believe me, they do. <laughs> This is what the whole work of Eleanor Ostrom is about. How do self-organized institutions for collective action manage to take care better of our resource? Yes, tell me. So, okay, so anarcho-capitalism doesn't have to be local because it can yeah. be non-contiguous because that's what polycentric law is supposed to be. It could be across vast territories. It could be just this big corporation conglomerate that operates in China and or formerly China and formerly the United States. So it doesn't have to be like a local institution like anarcho-communism. Yes, but anarcho-communism recognizes that you have several of these micro little 
self-governed thingies, then the topology of the whole system, right. it becomes very similar to the one that anarcho-capitalists advocate. And I asked this question to David Friedman uh, when we were in Serbia a few weeks ago, like, what do you think of the work of Elinor Ostrom? Uh, because both, are ah, also anarcho-communism, uh, she never said explicitly, she never identified as anarcho-communism, but you, you don't need to be too clever to, to read among the lines, right? right. So um, one of the main things that make this local self-organized project successful is being exclusive. So the fact that you can exclude people, uh, which is something very similar to property rights. Right. Uh, it's the first step to making these micro experiments work. Also, just like in the work of David Friedman in anarcho-communism, they are, they are monitoring mechanisms, and they also emerge in a bottom-up way. So, uh, and I can go on forever, but I guess the main point is that they are, I really like what the Startup Societies is doing and how Blue Frontiers is presenting this new wave of seasteading because we seem to be transcending a world that is based on political ideologies where uh, you don't need to be fundamental anymore about your beliefs because as you've said in many occasions, and uh, as I say as well, and as many clever people that I'm <laughs> say too, is that something that works for this case might not work for this one here. So the important value is in letting each each society find out what is what best works for them. Yes, let's organize it, please. I would love to. I would so love to organize. Yeah. Uh, a commons. A commons. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's get a, a, a conference for, for commie, a communist startup society. I would love that. Yeah. And can you also send me that author? I haven't heard of him before. And I, the idea of exclusion is the basis of a startup society. That's very interesting. Yeah, so she mentioned eight basic principles. Okay, so, she did, okay, so uh, her whole thesis is that um, it's very environmentally focused. And when it comes to solving problems related to overconsumption of natural resources, there are usually two traditional ways. Political scientists advocate in favor of the state because the state should govern and should provide the legal regulatory framework for making things work, which we both know they don't, right? And whenever a state is in control of a forest, eh, well, that's just that just naturally leads to overconsumption. On the other right. side of the spectrum, some people say, let's just let the market, let's just let the market solve this. And what Eleanor Ostrom proves with her many, many, many ethnographies all around the world is that both the market and the state don't really do, are not sufficient to perform the, the job well on their own. And she mentions the example of the 200 nautical miles of protected territorial waters that countries have. So in the 80s, there was a lot of um, over overfishing and overconsumption of natural resources on the ocean. So around 1982, 1984, I don't remember, the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea decided, okay, let's just make states uh, protect these the waters more by extending the coastal, the territorial waters of states to 200 nautical miles. And what they saw was that 
this this area simply became more overfished and more overconsumed because now states were in charge of them and they had an economic incentive to explode them. Mm -hmm. So that is the starting point. The market is is a good tool, but it's not sufficient. The state is simply uh, too big. So none of them on their own are enough. And uh, so how can we solve this problem? Simple. What if we let those people who are actually affected uh, by a territory or live in a territory to design their own rules? So she worked on these eight principles uh, that characterize successful cases of self-organized institution for collective actions. And the first one was the fact that there, was, there were boundaries for those who could participate. So exclusion, it's important. Because only by you having stakes on the matter, you will be able to care. If it belongs to no one, like in the market, then this leads to over-exploitation. If it belongs to a state, it's the same as if it belonged to no one. So, <laughs> so it's the same. So that is principle number one. And then you have a few other things like, uh, who monitors those who are also part of the system. So instead of having a state surveilling what you do from aside, from afar, it's better if you are actually involved in the monitoring of, of your resource because you are the one who cares that it, it is protected. And right. protecting it doesn't mean not using it. It simply means avoiding overconsumption and avoiding things to go the wrong way. Another one, and this is very important in the light of the work of uh, David Friedman, is sanctioning mechanisms. So he's done a lot of work on reputation mechanisms, and Elinor Ostrom does a lot of work on sanctioning mechanisms. And she says that sanctions for them to work should be graduated. So if you, I already said fuck, so I'm going to say it again. If you fuck it up, <laughs> if you fuck it up, instead of something hugely bad happening to you, it's better if you start with a small fine or a small, if you start small and start. Like uh, proportionality as they call it in legal. Exactly, terms. proportionality, exactly. Yeah. What else? Um, um, I remember, but anyway, yeah. So please, let's do a conference on commons, uh, on anarcho-communism and anarcho-capitalism and where they meet. And I would be more than happy to talk about my research on heterarchies. Well, well, let's do it. And now we, every time we talk, you teach me something new. So thank you so much for that. That's how I feel with you. That's why I admire you so much. I don't want to let you go. But I think <laughs> <laughs> you must be so busy with the preparations. Busy, but I'm never too busy for you, Natalie. That's so sweet. Okay, I can stay here. <laughs> Don't say that because one day Joe Quirk says something similar and I had him here for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so interesting because we ended up, uh, the podcast is called The Sibangelist's Forbidden Winecast because we ended up having one bottle of wine each and talking openly, talking openly actually about the situation in French Polynesia. Uh, so we are releasing it in parts. Because, <laughs> because it just gets more and more and more and more. So don't tell me that because I would have you here for 10 hours. I want to see a drunk joke work. I want to oh, see a, a joke drunk work. joke work is so funny. Like standard joke work is funny already. Drunk right. joke work 
Uh, it's just so insightful. It's this nice. <laughs> <laughs> this is cappuccino that I... I didn't know that you could buy cappuccino where you could just put the water and voila. Is that a cappuccino then? Or is that like technically like not like, cappuccino? Hi, but I don't like to cook. <laughs> <laughs> And for me, that's cool. well, you're, you're you're Colombian. I would think that you would be like a like a coffee snob. For a Colombian, I have such a such low standards in coffee. <laughs> yeah, because I just drink it to wake up. <laughs> How do you like your coffee? Black. 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 Maybe a little bit of milk just to cool it down, but usually just black. Sugar or no sugar? No sugar. No sugar. sugar. No sugar. No. no. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want a sugar crash. Come on. <laughs> uh, you don't want a sugar coma. No, 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 definitely not. And also it's like coffee is meant to be bitter. That's what God intended. So horrible. Bitter coffee. <laughs> yeah. My dad drinks 14 cups per day. When's the last time he had a heart attack? <laughs> Like in two weeks from now, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Yeah, he he drinks fourteen cups per day, and he can drink one now or eleven p.m. and then he goes to sleep, and he sleeps. That's that's like that is addiction. That is addiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. That he. Uh I would not want to be around him when he quits coffee because if he's going to have horrible migraines. Oh my God, no, I don't think he can ever quit coffee. He works really far in Colombia in, in a, like near indigenous population and he, he takes his coffee with him because sometimes it's far the store from where he is. I don't think he can ever quit coffee. Incubator. Yeah, Elysium? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Stay there for a while. Yeah, I'm self-inviting myself, and it's being recorded. So, <laughs> deal. You were invited. <laughs> nice. I like it. I do. I I let you go. Okay. No, I I gotta get back to work. <laughs> yeah. I need to start working. Too. Yeah. It was great talking to you, Natalie. Yeah. See you soon. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Blue Frontiers podcast. To learn more about our work and find out how you can support the project, visit blue-frontiers.com or visit our social channels. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Blue Frontiers, or shoot us a note via our website. If you learned something and enjoyed the show, tell a friend or leave us a positive review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our show and remember to join us for the next episode. See you next time.